dong, dong. Pastor Mark has arrived. Hello, welcome to our Wednesday night Bible studies. All you here as well as our campuses over in Appleton and Stevens Point. All the people who watch us online. Hello, glad that you're with us. We are in the book of Daniel, a book which resolves, revolves around a guy named Daniel, hence the name. Uh, it's our uh, Wednesday night Bible study where it, this isn't really preaching and all that kind of stuff. I don't have to worry about my timing and smart little remarks. I just, I have a time limit. I know where I'm going to start. I have no idea where I'm going to end. And uh, we just try to go through a book of the Bible one verse at a time and try and just expound upon it, get everybody thinking and uh, encourage you to inquire of your own of stuff that maybe, you know, gets your curiosity going and stuff. The uh, book of Daniel is in the context of, uh, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, the children of Israel had sinned greatly against God. He sent prophet after prophet <laughs> warning them, that's what a lot of the Old Testament is, to stop it. And if they didn't stop it, God's judgment was coming, and they wouldn't stop. And, uh, uh, and God just destroyed the nation, let uh, the, the invading Babylonian Empire came in, crushed them, killed undoubtedly the majority of their citizens in one of the most horrific bloodbaths of history. And people say, well, why would God allow things like that to happen? Look, when we talk about them being bad, we're not talking about everybody didn't vote, okay, or they didn't go to church every Sunday, or they kicked their neighbor's dog or something. These people had gotten so caught up in the pagan culture of the day, an extremely disgusting, violent, horribly sexually immoral culture like we can't even get our heads around. We think of wicked regimes like today, like for us, like ISIS or something like that. Really, at some point, the cultures in which these people of this time made those guys look like Boy Scouts. I mean, it was horrifying. If you actually do a study of it and look uh, historically what these cultures were like, they'd offer their own children and sacrifice to the gods and stuff. I mean, it was bad. Bad enough that the pagans did that. But the Israelites did it. They even offered their own children. They were so caught up in this pagan culture. These are the people that God, through his incredible display of power and glory, brought them out of Egypt, gave them the law of Moses and the miracles. I mean, these people had miracles coming out of their eyeballs. Sometimes we often think, well, why doesn't the Lord just do more miracles? Because if people would just see more miracles, more people would believe. Apparently not. Because these people had miracles that you and I would pay big money to see. And they still wouldn't believe. They still stuck it to God. And they rebelled and rebelled. And God, I mean, what's extremely patient. You think God gets mad at you because you don't read your Bible every night? Good Lord. Apparently, he's very patient. He puts up with this for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Finally, he can't take it. They have gotten so cold and wicked in their hearts and did stuff that would make a normal person want to vomit that God finally sent destruction. And, and which is really, we often forget this. If you read the Old Testament, when we're talking about them going into the promised land, oh, this is the land. that A lot of it wasn't even so much about Israel as it was God bringing judgment on the people that were there. And it says that. It says, I'm sending you there because of how wicked they are. So they came and wiped out all the cultures before them. Sadly, after a while, the very cultures they destroyed overcame them. Holy stinging cow, that doesn't sound like today. Right? We as Christians come in and we're supposed to be affecting our culture and it's not 
too terribly long before the culture is attacking us. And it seems like today we are constantly on defense, even of the most basic, foundational moral principles that virtually every religion in the world appears, adheres to. We are on defense even on that. And so many Christians today think like the pagan culture in which we live, and we are literally a candle in the dark trying to speak against that. I'm hoping at some point there'll be another great move of God in America and push a lot of this nonsense back. If it doesn't, who knows where we're all going to end, but it's, we're not in, a, in good days, and we are literally constantly playing defense and trying to think more biblically than like the pagan culture in which we live. Well, these guys were in it up to their eyeballs and spades longer than the United States of America had ever been around, and the pagan culture that were affecting them were way worse than what we're looking at today. And it just got so bad, he couldn't take it anymore. He'd warned them. You don't think he warned you? Read this. He warned them. And finally, the hammer fell. Uh, the Babylonians came in. God was not there to protect them. Wipes out most of the people. And then a remnant of them got swept away into Babylonian captivity. And for 70 years, they stayed in this place of Babylonian captivity. And, uh, and the book of Daniel is surrounded around Daniel and these three guys. Uh, not only did the Babylonians try to integrate them into the culture as, a, as they did to other conquering nations, then they looked for the cream of the crop, and Daniel and his three guys were these super good-looking, come-from-good-families kind, highly intelligent guys. They brought them and gave them the best education the country could offer them. They were multilingual. They were sharp guys who knew what they were talking about and gave them positions of helping to rule this vast empire. So they were, in a, one sense, in, in a very uh, positive position of being lifted up in such a great position. Uh, so anyway, we've been reading about it, chapter 1, got to chapter 2, when the king, uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, psychomaniac, is, uh, here's, has a dream, can't remember the dream, wants people to tell him who the dream, what the dream is, and interpret it, or he's going to kill everybody. They can't tell him, so he orders them all to be killed. All his leaders, all the guys. This guy was one crazy dude. Daniel and his buddies get caught up in this, and they're all going to get killed. They had nothing to do. They didn't even ask his opinion, but he said, kill them all. And they were one of the wise men of the day. They used all kinds of fancy words like magicians and diviners and all this. It was all, it was all part of this uh, class of men who were incredibly wise and insightful. Some of them undoubtedly were into the black arts, without question, I think. And certainly Daniel, those guys, their strength and insight came from the God of heaven. And they still referred to them as magicians because they had all these insights. Uh, so at the last minute, da Daniel steps in, says to the king, tells the guy, tell the king, uh, give me a little bit of time and I'll interpret it. What was he gonna lose? <laughs> Goes to his buddy, saying, we better pray or I'll toast. And God comes through, gives them the dream, the interpretation, uh, talking about the great kingdoms of the world that would come before the eventual kingdom of God would come. And historically, if you look at it, you can look at last week's message if you want. We didn't get into it in great detail. But there were the major kingdoms that have come and gone and were in the last days of the final kingdom and said in the, in the statue in the dream was made up of iron and clay, a massive kingdom, but didn't really stick all that well together. I think it's a great analogy for... Certainly Western cultures, Europe, the United States is a classic example of iron and clay holding together and stuff like that and becoming this massive power. What's interesting is, according to Daniel's dream, there are no other great kingdoms that come, except for what John saw as the Antichrist that has a brief 
appearance, and then this whole thing comes to an end. So we are coming to the end. How close to the end, I don't know. But it is coming to the end uh, without a doubt. So now, we pick it up. Now, remember, as a result of this incredible insight that God gave Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar praised God and worshiped the God of heaven. Uh, in fact, we can uh, back up just a little bit in uh, chapter 2, verse 46. King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel. This is the most egocentric, narcissistic, psycho-powerful guy who's not prone to falling down prostrate before anybody, I promise you. But he was so overwhelmed, he falls on his face before Daniel to worship the God of heaven. He paid him honor and ordered all the offering and incense be presented to him. The God said, Daniel, surely your God is the God of God's the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. You would think, hallelujah, he has had a born-again experience. He's been transferred into the kingdom. He has seen the light. All the things that you can think of. Here is a man who finally gets it. He's met the living God. God, he sees us. Oh, this is awesome. All right. Very next chapter. Verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. That's a lot of gold. Now, I don't know if it was solid gold or if it was gold-plated. I think the implication it was solid gold. These guys had considerable wealth. You talk about the 1%. This is more than the 1%. It's the one person. All the wealth of the world flowed to this king. And all the gold has, so he just, you know, it's got all this extra gold. What are you going to do? You know what it's like, right? You got so much gold, you got to do something with it. So this is what he does. And he builds this gigantic statue, nine feet high and, what was it? 90 feet high. Nine feet. 90 feet high. It's 100 feet high. And nine feet wide of gold. And he set it on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, I expect you all to memorize this, by the way. Satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nation of men of every language. And they were a nation of every language because he had conquered the world and integrated all these people. Um, he was quite the uh, yo mama guy here in terms of conquering the world. Uh, as soon as you hear, these are the rules, as soon as you hear the band starting to play, the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the harp, the lyre, or the harp player who's a liar. One of the two. Pipes and all kinds of music. You must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Okay. One has to wonder exactly how much he grasped the concept of God. Just before this, he is saying that God is the God of heaven, the Lord of kings. He gets it. The very next verse, he's building this yo mama gigantic idol. Wants everybody to come to the dedication. And they basically played a version of musical chairs. You know how musical chairs, when the music stops, you got to sit down. Well, their version was, 
as soon as the band played, everybody had to fall down and worship. And they would just do this. And uh, whenever they decided to hit it, the band, the banjos, everybody, come on. No, so everybody would hit the floor. Woo! Worship the big fat gold idol. Now, I'm sure it wasn't a very worshipful experience from the heart. <laughs> this was because I don't want to get fried alive in the fiery furnace. Again, you have, now, by the way, this happens at least twice, I think, with Nebuchadnezzar. The man is just clueless. But here you think the guy has this encounter with God, and the next minute he's right back into building idols. And I got to tell you, even to this day, we struggle with this kind of thing. There are people, and if you're a Christian for very long at all, you will experience this. You will bring someone that you think finally gets it. They come to church. They're confessing Jesus. They've even been baptized. They've been through the whole deal. And it seems like within no time at all, they are completely doing things that are horrific and offensive to the kingdom of God. And it's like they don't get it. It's like, you know, be a pastor. See what we see. There's people who don't get it. We can sit down with them. We can plead with them. And we're usually pretty nice about it. Right? I mean, we're, we're nice people. <laughs> I'm a bit obnoxious, but the rest of them are really nice, you know. And we say, look, you shouldn't be doing this. And here's why it's bad if you do this. And we can implore them. And we can beg them. And we can plead with them with all of our soul and heart and compassion. And they stare at us. And you just look at them. It's like a deer stuck in the headlights. And they are grasping none of it. And they wake up, walk up and just keep doing everything we ask them not to do. What are you supposed to do? You just love them. What are you going to do? Someday God will straighten it all out. Jesus talked that there would be a time in the kingdom when the wheat would grow right along with the weeds. And they say, well, should we throw these people out? No, Jesus actually taught don't throw them out. Not that someone's really doing destructive, you've got to throw them out. But, the, you know, people who don't get it. The parable was if you pull the weeds, you have the risk of hurting the wheat. So let them grow together. In the end, the harvester will come, harvest it down, put the wheat one place, and take the weeds and throw them in the fire. Not a very pretty picture. But I promise you, it is quite frustrating in how you can pray for people and minister to people and show people. And at some point, at the end of the day, there are a whole bunch of people who are like King Nebuchadnezzar who just won't get it. They don't get it. What's our calling? Love them, encourage them, and keep praying for them. Perchance, they might actually get it at some point. Some people are very slow learners. Sadly, oftentimes, they got to go through very horrible things before they finally get it. You know, until God throws the light on people's heads, you know, it's just God has to do this. It just, it is what it is. It's our duty to train them and to teach them and show them the way of God. And you should know and be able to do that to people and help put them on the right path. But until God throws a switch in their brains where they get it, spiritually speaking, you, you can't beat this into people. You can't just drill it into them. You can't, I mean, you, I, you can preach until you're blue in the face. And unless God does the work, it's not going to get done. So uh, we need to do what we're called to do, but at the end of the day, we need to pray. Everything we need to do, we need to season with prayer and ask God to show up 
work through us, speak into people's lives and make the word of God come alive, trusting that the word of God will not come back void. But there are people, I get, that just for the life of you, no matter what you say, they don't get it. And Nebuchadnezzar is like this. goes right from worshiping God to building a stupid idol. So anyway, that was the rules. Verse 7, therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. For obvious reasons, they didn't want to get thrown into the blazing furnace. Well, at this time, some astrologers came forward, and this is really part of this class of magicians. Well, they use all kinds of words to describe these guys, and sometimes they'll use a whole list of them describing who they were, and Daniel and his friends actually were among them. Uh, they'd been given Babylonian names. Daniel was given the name of Belteshazzar, and the other three guys were given Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These were Babylonian names. They wanted to try and get them into the culture. Uh, so that's what they did. Some of these astrologers came and then denounced the Jews. Now, you would think, who just saved all their necks? Daniel. Belteshazzar saved all their necks. They were all going to be killed. And it was serious stuff. This guy did not mess around. He killed people like there, was, like there were flies. It didn't matter to him. The one guy who stepped forward to save all of their necks was Daniel. You would think they would be greatly appreciative of it. They were not. Now, in this particular case, they didn't actually come after Daniel. Right here in this next chapter, all we're going to talk about is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel somehow escaped this. They might have had at least enough thanksgiving, maybe towards Daniel, that they didn't drag him into it. We do know a little bit later that they set up Daniel so they'd throw him in the lion's den. So at some point, the evening eventually got back to him. Maybe there was enough goodwill at this point. They let Daniel slide, but they're going after these other guys. So they came forward to announce it. They went to tell on him because they knew. Now, no one saw this. It wasn't like they had CNN or whatever. No one had any idea. If the band starts playing, first of all, who's even going to hear it? Except the guys near the musicians. They didn't even have sound systems, for heaven's sakes. But anyone around who heard the music was supposed to hit the dirt, hullabala, 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 until the music was done, then get up and keep moving. Well, who knows where these guys were at? Who knows? No one's going to know. But these guys knew that they were Jews. And they knew the rule. They won't bend. They won't bow. So they set them up. So they come to King Nebuchadnezzar to denounce the Jews. In verse 9, they say, they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, oh, king, live forever. They were always butt kissing. <laughs> That's all they did because they feared these guys massively. So, wonderful king, you have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and pipes of all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But, I hate, I hate to actually mention this, and uh, I'm not one to gossip, you know, but we need to pray for these guys. That's a Christian gossip, right? You know, you know uh, we need to pray for Pastor Mark because clearly he's possessed. And, you know, I just watch it all. And, you know, it's, it's just, you know, he's not teaching the word like he's. It's amazing how we take gossip and evil and wrap it into spiritual terms. We just got to be smarter than that. Somebody come with a little dog turd with a bow on it. Go, ew, that's a dog turd. I don't care what kind of bow you got on it. Oh, we need to pray for Pastor Joe, because Joe's really got some issues. Let me tell you what they are. 
and as, as we gossip, you know, that's, it's all it is. But they come and say, listen, you know, I, just, you know I, just, I thought you should know that there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. These are key guys, king. You put them there. One of the reasons he put them there is because of what they've meant to the kingdom so far and with Daniel and his guys because they basically prophesied or interpreted the dreams and stuff. But you got these guys you set up, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't pay any attention to you, king. That's not true, but they're just trying to set them up. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you've set up. Now, this king knows who they are, and he knows the God they serve. But he inflames the king. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar, who is not used to anybody telling him no ever. You talk about being the ultimate yes man. Here's a guy who surrounds himself with yes men. Because all the no men are no longer with him. <laughs> all right? You don't want to be a no. Oh, king, I really think you ought to think this through. Oh, man, that's a bad day for you. He'd like you to kill you and all your family. So he's furious with rage. So Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, why they keep repeating this, I don't know, of all kinds, just say the band. <laughs> if you are ready to fall down and worship the image of gold, I made very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Now, you have to understand, uh, the uh, king is really already cutting them slack here. He likes these guys. He's got a fair amount invested in them, and he's, they've done some great things. And uh, it was pretty clear that him and Daniel, or Daniel and these guys did an amazing job for the king because they were in highly intelligent. They were great administrators. They were brilliant. They were the best the nation could offer. Uh, so he basically says, listen, we're going to give you another shot here. When the band plays, bow down. Usually for the king, a guy like this even to give you another shot, it didn't happen. So he's trying to help these guys out. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, knowing their necks are on the line. Uh, and this is one of the most powerful verses of scripture that has had a dramatic impact in my life. You've heard me teach on it before, and I'm going to teach on it now because we're going through it here. But they say this, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able. Everybody say able. able. He's able to save us, and he will. Everybody say he will. he will. Rescue us from your hands. So we know he's able to do it. We think he will do it, O king. And then verse 18. This is the key. But even if he doesn't, that's the one we wrestle with. Oh, we believe in the Lord. We believe that he's able to do anything. We'll go to a place where we'll prophesy and testify and speak faith and God's going to do it. God's going to do it. But we rarely take time to deal with number three. What if he doesn't? What if he doesn't? Why would they say that? There's people I know who are real heavy emphasis people. They don't like this portion of the scripture. They're actually trying to explain it away. That's not what they meant. They were talking about something. No, no, that's exactly what they meant. What kind of profession of faith is this? He can. He will, but even if he doesn't, he says, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods nor worship 
the image of gold that you have set up. You have to understand, and I have taught, there's a very few things that I teach on in repetitive manners, but this is one of them. You have to be able to overcome fear. Because if you don't overcome fear, you will very unlikely to experience a miracle in your life. It is what it is. And here's the catch. Even if you totally overcome fear, you may not get it anyway. But one thing's for sure, you don't overcome fear, I virtually guarantee you're not going to get it. Unless God divinely and miraculously, in spite of you, shows up. God can do anything you want. Someone with a great gift of healing or something comes and touches you, whether you're faithful. You know, who knows what can happen. Uh, you know, there were people in the uh, New Testament that came and, and were healed, and they weren't even believers. So they didn't have any faith. So something like that can just show up and stuff. But generally speaking, that doesn't happen a whole lot. But you've got to get to the place where I trust God. I know he can. I know he will. I know he wills it for me. He desires it for me. But even if he doesn't, I will not bend. I will not bow. I will not be afraid. And the only true way that I have ever found, and I've taught this for many years, that you can truly overcome fear is that if you can look at the very worst thing that is going to happen to you and you say, I don't care. I mean, literally, I don't care. It's okay. It's okay. Your business might fail. You've got to get to a place where you go, if that happens, it's okay. It's going to be okay. What if you go bankrupt? Fear strikes your heart. Oh my gosh, what if I lose everything? What if I lose? You've got to be able to say, you know what? Even if that happens, it's going to be okay. It's, I think it's very frustrating to Satan because Satan wants to scare the snot out of you. And when you're so dumb, you won't even be afraid of what he's threatening you with. It's very irritating to him. But you, the worst he say, I, you say, I might die. Yes, you might die. And you need to be able to look at it and say, you know what? Even if I die, it's going to be okay. I will not fear, I will not bend, I will not bow. That's what these three men did. Now, I'll give you a little sneak into the story, which we'll eventually get to. I don't know, if I keep rambling, maybe not, but <laughs> next week or whatever. Uh, they, get their incredible, they get an incredible miracle. We're going to read it. They get an incredible miracle. Uh, and oftentimes we think that is the... Definitive standard, always. And I, I'm telling you, it's not. Most of the truly faithful people who have put their faith in God and believed that he could, that he wanted to, and were not afraid even if he didn't, I would say the greater share of them did not get their miracle. They were thrown into the furnaces. They were persecuted and killed and as it says in Hebrew, some of them were sawn asunder, which means sawn in half. I don't care who you are, that's a bad day. When they're sawing you in half, that's not good. Uh, even talented chiropractors can't help you with that if they saw you in half. <laughs> and we have some very talented ones here. Uh, that, that's, that's rough. I mean, people, even just over the last 2,000 years, Christians, how many were thrown to the lions and you know, and whatever. You say, well, then what are you saying? What I'm saying is whether you, we win or lose, you are not supposed to walk in fear. What's the point? So, well, pastor, you know, what if I die trusting God? You have an alternative to this? 
You want to die not trusting God? You want to be die full of fear and paranoia? Now, having said all that, I just want you to know, in all honest and sensitivity, there are people who struggle with great things in life, and this really bothers them, and they have a hard time. I have always said for years that I always allow myself a good 24 to 48 hours to freak out over anything. I give myself that grace of just, ah! and the crying in the morning and groaning, but I usually pull myself out of it. But I will confess to you, over this great trial that Deb and I have been facing, lo, these many months, this has been the hardest one we've ever faced. And it's been really hard. It's been very difficult. So I know what it's like. Even knowing this and teaching, you can still get yourself into a place where it's almost impossible to shake the fear. There are days where fear just, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like this, but just waves of it come over you and you can hardly breathe. We've gotten together, we've called friends, and can we just come over? <laughs> Poor Joe. <laughs> Way past the dinner, we're knocking on his door. Can we come in? You know what I mean? We're just, we're just, we need to be able to breathe. We just need to be able to breathe. This was not the typical marquee 24 hour, 48 hour deal. This has been a rough one. This has been really, really difficult. But even still, we need to get to the place where we believe he can. We even can believe he wants to, wills it. But we need to get to the place that even if he doesn't, we will not bend. We will not bow. We will not be afraid. That is our best chance for a miracle. And even if we don't get a miracle, it's the best place to be. Are you hearing me? There's no guarantee getting there will come it all for you. And, and bless my sweet wife, you know, and uh, she's hiding in here somewhere. I don't know where she's at, but unless she's, where are you at? Is she here? There she's way in the back. Don't hug her, okay? <laughs> she has owies. <laughs> Hi, Debbie. Don't, hey, brother, how you doing? You know, slap her or something like that. It's, it's not a good plan for her. But uh, it's been rough, and it's been very rough. And uh, I, I got to tell you, in all honesty, for the bulk of these six months, I have been in a constant cycle of feeling so bad for her and feeling overwhelmed with fear and thinking, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And then spending the rest of the day feeling guilty because I worried about what I was going to do. And finally, pull myself out of it. And then the next day comes along, and here we go again. And uh, thinking, you know, it's, it's bad. You know, all of a sudden you think, gee, my wife for 40-some years may not be with me. That's a little unsettling for a man who has difficulty dressing himself in the morning. There's only so many muck versions of something one can eat. Have all the fast food men. Memor menus memorized. Uh, it's, it's disconcerting. We appreciate your prayers because we need to get solidly in that place. I, I feel like I'm getting in a better place where now I don't feel so much fear. It's simple. Well, you just, you've got to be there. You say, Pastor, if you get totally the place of fear, are you guaranteed a miracle? Nobody's guaranteed anything. What we know is where we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be in a place of faith and we need to trust God. So, you know, if you're one of these people, look at me and say, I don't know how you can do it for 48 hours. Well, I'm telling you, it's been a few more than that for me. 
uh, and Deb for the last six months. It's been really, really hard. It's quite overwhelming at times to the point where it's difficult even to breathe. And so you've been there. You, you know what it's like and stuff. But you still, we still got to get to this place. And the devil screams, well, what happens if this? What happens if this? You just got to be able to say, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Our God can. I know he wants to. But if for some reason, even if he doesn't, we will not bend. We will not bow. We will not be afraid. That was the profession of faith that these men made. And it made it possible for God to show up in a glorious way. And make no mistake, not everybody, even in the New Testament, not everybody received a miracle. Paul writes, wrote about his one friend. He says, wow, he's finally better. You know, God spared me. I thought he was going to die. I always read that and think, wait a minute, aren't you Paul the apostle? <laughs> Don't you just lay hands on people and they recover? Apparently some. Others that they didn't. The Bible talks of saints that died. And at one point, the Corinthian church had so many people dying, it was rather odd. Paul finally said, you know, I think I have an insight, insight into why so many of you are dying because they've been so disobedient to God in some areas. And he talks about that, you know. But I mean, you know, there's a lot of people who've gotten to the place of one, two, three that these guys got and still did not see their immediate miracle. But they died in faith, trusting God. And I promise you, no matter what happens, that's the way you always want to go. But don't be, for the minute you are so afraid of something happening to you, you cannot have faith for a miracle. If you're scared to death, they're going to kick you out of your house. I don't see how that happens. You've got to be able to say, okay, if we lose our house, we lose our house. It's going to be okay. God's going to take care of us no matter what. And that's true. That's where you want to live. There is nothing to be gained by fear. There are people who actually look at you weird and say, well, that's weird. You're supposed to be afraid. What? What's the point of that? There's nothing to be gained. There's nothing you can, Jesus said, you worry, you can't change a single hair on your head, which for Lathan and I is a smaller equation. But again, there's nothing you can, Jesus said, stop. It accomplishes nothing. I think sometimes people, we actually feel obligated to freak out. We almost think if we're not full of fear, it's a sign that we don't care. Seriously, this stuff goes through your head. No, no, you can care deeply. But fear is not a good thing. And if you're going to get to a place of faith, it has to get quieted. And the only way, I know, other than just getting in the Word, which you need to get and get some faith and get in services and let people pray for you, but you've got to be able to look at it and say, even if he does not, I will not bend, I will not bow, I will not be afraid. And that's what they said. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his attitude toward them changed. It's <laughs> a bad thing. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The good news is you're one of the strongest guys in the kingdom. The bad news is you just got a really bad job. Because these guys are just doing the job. Can you, um, why would anybody, I promise you, there's no amount of money you could pay me hot enough to go walking alive into heat that will kill me. Why would these people do it? Better than that, 
than to fall into the hands of the angry king. He would disembowel you and slowly watch you die. I mean, the, the fear, the, we have no idea. The fear that these people lived under, under these kings, was astronomical. These grown, strong men marched to their deaths, burning alive, just because someone told them to. We've been talking about servanthood. <laughs> what does a servant do? Whatever they tell him to do. You know, in church, we're supposed to be servants. Are you kidding? If you don't freeze us the way I freeze you, you don't do the program the way I want, you do the right. I'm not leaving this church. The Holy Spirit's left this place. Whoa. I pray not too many people in America, Christians today, have a very strong concept of servanthood. You know what a picture of servanthood is? These cats. Now, the good news is I will never ask you to march into a flaming furnace to get something for me. <laughs> Looking at me like I'm crazy. I am crazy. What do I know? So these, these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet. He was leaping. He's a leaping lizard, jumping up to his feet in amazement. And asked his advisors, what the heck? Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? And they replied, certainly, O king. And he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. I think Jesus showed up walking around with those cats in the fire. And here they are. They were thrown in. The guys throwing them in died. These guys hit the ground. Get up. <laughs> well, this is unusual. <laughs> They're walking around in there in the flames. It wasn't burning them. It wasn't burning them. And then they see this angel-like creature. It might have been an angel. Who knows? It was certainly somebody from heaven. And now there's four of them in there. Well, he said, look, I see four men. So Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace, I'm sure very gently, <laughs> due to the heat. And he shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satrap, three-faced governors, royal advisors crowded around them. And they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robe was not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Whoa! Talk about going through a trial, and you come out, and you don't even stink! Man! It was glorious. Now, again, I think there are many places we get in our life where we can experience, not at this dramatic level, but where God just shows up and turns situations. Of that, I'm certain. I think it's highly unlikely you will serve Jesus all your life and not have some dramatic things happen for you. All I'm saying is at some point, you don't get what you want. Sometimes you just don't get it. What do we do? We serve God nonetheless. Why don't we get it? I don't know why we don't get it. But he knows why. And I'm convinced one of the first things we'll do when we get to heaven is go, oh, <laughs> that's why. <laughs> Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's praising God again. We started to have church. He sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. Though I have to tell you, you cut me into pieces, I don't care what you do with my house, all right? 
But that was part of the threat. And for no other god can save in this way, then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Hallelujah. Now you would think this man who now has found religion finally gets it. Nay, I say to you, nay. And we will talk about that again next week. Let's end in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth and your faithfulness. Thank you for this great example of trusting you in the midst of great trying circumstances. Help us, Lord, to find that place where we're absolutely convinced of your power, convinced of your heart. And Lord, though things may fall against us in ways we don't want, we will not bend, we will not bow, we will not be afraid, and we will continue to praise and serve you. And we thank you for the grace for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. God bless you. See you next week. Amen.